Put quite simply, my plan was to kill myself as soon as I got home and disarmed the security system. I'd already taken care of all my worldly affairs. Even the fish in the pond out back had a week's supply of food in the auto-feeder. So, knowing everything was ready, I settled comfortably into the darkness on my drive home. As the road wound ever upwards, my headlights cut through the evening gloom, flashing briefly on patches of fog, when night had chilled the summer air to mist. In the daylight these foothills resembled rumpled quilts tossed off against the base of the mountain, the mountain where I would exit this earth. I had made the winding drive down about this same time a month before with Barbara, slumped unconscious next to me. It was her last trip to the hospital. She abandoned her struggle as they moved her onto the gurney. I never even got to say goodbye. Not that it mattered. We had hardly spoken the past few years anyway. But her passing had affected me more deeply than I had expected, and I began finding myself at moments with a near pathological impulse to end my own life as well, just to escape the endless little failures and misunderstandings that I suppose everyone has. Finally, with the end so near, I dared to call out old memories previously crammed down into the darker recesses of my mind. I studied them for a time as I swerved around the hairpin curves on my way home, bothersome little flashes of my past, regrets. From when I was a kid, mostly. Forgettable things. Except I could never seem to forget them. A perfunctory encounter, a studied indifference and ignored touch, Oh, and I was always behind in class, and among the last chosen on the playground, I was a loser. Everyone knew it. Only one other kid was a worse athlete than me. Little Arlen, who killed himself in junior high school. Or so I had heard. Arlen, who could be forgiven for being the biggest loser in Stubbinville, that little scab of a town on the Pine Barrens of the Florida Panhandle. But eventually things began to change. I spent a summer practicing batting and catching and discovered it was all just a matter of learning how to do it, but the early failures stuck with me anyway. Now it would all be over in a few more minutes. What a relief. There was nothing left that could alter my plans for the night, nothing whatever, and there was a certain sense of fulfillment in carrying out a well-formed plan. I turned off the highway and continued up the quarter-mile private road to my summer house. As the drive leveled off and turned right along the front acreage, I noted a rather large hole. That was new. I stopped the car and climbed out into the late evening air. The night's moon was already well up. But this was no small hole. It was a crater. It must have been two hundred feet across and deep enough to hide a barn. In mild alarm, I peered across the abyss and noted with some relief the silhouette of my house against the Milky Way. At least this hole wouldn't interfere with my evening's plan. Still baffled, though, I returned my attention to the crater. It was perfectly round. There was no debris field thrown up as a meteor would have done if it had impacted my front yard. And where was the missing dirt? I surveyed the surrounding area. There should have been dirt, lots of dirt, but there was nothing. I stepped cautiously over to the rim and peered down into the darkness. Something touched my neck. 
Be careful, the edge is unstable. Shitfire, I yelled, almost jumping into the hole. Sorry, I didn't mean to startle you. You didn't startle me, I wheezed. You damn near sent me into cardiac arrest. I'll be eighty next week. Then I remembered that actually I wouldn't, I'd be dead. I finally turned to confront whoever had destroyed my front lawn. Not that it mattered, I reminded myself, but when I saw her, I wondered if perhaps I was already dead and had just forgotten about it. She stood a bit shorter than me with spiky red hair that caught the moonlight on its tips. As she studied my face, she said, I'm Lovely Pebble. If I'd been F. Scott Fitzgerald, I might have said right then and there that she was not like you and me. I've had an unforeseen equipment failure. She continued, quite unfazed by my near death at her hands, on my time glider, and it has dropped out of sequential bypass on its return home. The moonlight was just bright enough that I noticed her lips didn't move when she spoke. They remained frozen in an elfish grin. Then I noticed she was jaybird naked. My nearly eighty-year-old heart almost stopped for the second time since I'd gotten out of the car. Maybe I wouldn't have to kill myself after all. This lovely pebble thing already had a pretty good start on it. I see. I dropped my hand from my chest. Well, I'm real sorry to hear that. Then, realizing the poor girl must have been stressed, I remembered my manners. After getting my breath back, I extended my hand. I'm a Cager Fenton, by the way, but all my friends call me Cager. She studied my hand, and after a moment of obvious confusion, touched it gently. Then may I call you Cager? You may, if it suits you, I said. Ever one to enjoy a double entendre? She responded with obvious relief. Then you may call me love, oblivious to the undertone. Would that be appropriate? Well, normally it might, I said, with as straight a face as possible. To keep things respectable, though, why don't I just call you by your first initial, L?'